This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book, just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles, Zombie Economics, How Dead Ideas Still Walk Amongst Us by John Quiggin, and Angel Thief by Jenny Schwartz. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and get your free audiobook today. We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. We all feel better. In the dark. That's the topic, gotta bring it to light About shows that fail, even though the rating site It's B-I-T-D, yes they did it again Never one doll show, so okay, let's begin I'm so Peter Petrelli, I'm the hero of the set Fanboys went nuts, had all the girls wet Then one rated strike, and my plot got scared For the next few years, it wasn't spotted anywhere I swear, I'm feeling quite like David Addison Maddie Hayes, so aggravating, yet fascinating Then my main actor went and made die hard Sybil had twins, she no longer was the star Carry a love for Drew Carey, but my bars run short. I'll let Tom and D carry. This one to your ears, yeah, my job is done. Episode 97, you know us, we never fail, son. Well, you are so beautiful when you get physical. Get your hand off my behind. Is that your behind? Is that my hand? You know, that's what I like about this place. You learn something new every day. But you can Yes. Maddie, I just have my hand on your behind. If I get any more serious, we're going to move it to cable. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Set sail the boat, Mr. Kring. Set sail the boat. Oh, Listen, listen, we're not going to have that this episode. We're yes, not we are. Have that Set sail the boat, Mr. Crane. You will not let it go, will you? <laughs> you will not pass up opportunity to bash this man every chance you get. Well, what is this episode about? This episode is going to be about something you and I have talked about on numerous occasions. Why is it that some TV shows that start out with such enormous promise and such mm-hmm. enormous potential and success and a top-notch in right. acting and directing and special effects, why is it that within a year or two, they go completely to shit? In other words, why do they crash and burn? And what was the show that inspired the show? Heroes. So, but you just don't like Tim Crane. Set sail the boat, Mr. Crane. You are using this show for your own personal ends, <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> Yeah, no, folks. We're if not. I was using this show for my own <clears throat> personal ends, I'd be trying to get Kristen Bell's phone number. And we're going to be talking about a lot more other things besides heroes. But right. yes, but one of the things that Tom and I always talk about in private conversations is that we wonder why the show start off so great and why did they go so wrong for the next hour or so. Mm-hmm. We're going to explore some of these shows right. and try to figure out why that is. And mm-hmm. of course, you are listening to another episode of the world famous. Better Better in in the the Dark, dark. starring my good friend Thomas DJ and my good friend Derek Ferguson as we march closer to episode 100. And by the way, I want to take a second to say 
Kalen Conley, who is absolute madman, B hyphen. We need to give him much praise here. We did not come to him with this idea. He comes to us with this idea saying, I'm going to do a new theme for every episode from 90 to 99 and then debut the brand new Better in the Dark theme on episode number 100. Just walked up to us out the clip, well, on the internet and said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And Tom was rolling around having orgasms and I said, you're crazy. <laughs> but he has done... Uh, absolutely amazing yeah. customized theme songs for every episode. Yes, and we wanted to just <clears throat> point that out because... One of my things that I always tell people, and this goes back to, because both you and I write, and people right. always say, oh, it must be really rough writing a book all by yourself. I said, you really don't write a book by yourself. And just like any creative thing, this show, me and Tom don't do it by ourselves. Right. You just hear our voices, <laughs> but you've got people like Eric Frome, who supplies us That's with the, the forum. Board, yeah. Uh, we heard on episode number 94... When right. we talked about the Star Trek TV shows. Right. You have Kalen Conley, who is our musical director right. and who does the theme song. He does all of these remarkable, customized theme right. songs for us. And then there's our... Uh, Kelly Logue. Kelly Logue, who does our Better in the Dawn fan page. Something, again, he just started up, and then he came to us and said, Hey, I did this for you guys. Do you mind? Do we mind? You I think like, my favorite bit, because Kelly is probably the person, the least amount of ego I know. Yeah. Because when he sent us the link for the site that he threw together, when you're ready to have a better site, let me know and I'll take it down. And we're like, dude, trust us. Yeah, we're not going to get much better than that. But these are all people that have, in their way, they have contributed. And the gratitude Tom and I have for their contributions cannot be adequately expressed. And they never ask anything of us just Nothing. to be a part. And they just say, hey, can I do this? I like to do this. I yeah. like to do this. Okay, you hear us running off right. at the mouth every other week. But there's a lot of other people exactly. behind us. There's our co-hosts who come on at the drop of a hat. We could not do the in-depth coverage of some of these subjects without the help of people like Donovan Morgan Grant. And, of course... Michael David Sims, and our good, good friend who we keep trying to have on as often as possible, Michael <laughs> Bailey. Yeah! Or Shag. Before we started recording, we were talking about the beginning of our, finally, our Universal Monster Movie series. Yeah. We've been promising for a while. And we're going to have my good friend from college, Joe Mazel, Who, hopefully, if Tom can work out something with him, and if his schedule permits, will be the first live guest yes, host who will actually be. won't be on Skype, won't be on instant messaging, won't be coming from the dark side of the moon. He will be sitting yes. right here next to me and Tom right. at the same time. So we're looking forward to that. We're constantly moving forward better in the dark. Yes. And we've got some things planned in 2011 that we hope will continue. Uh, unfortunately, one of them is also going to be the paying off of the bet that we made with Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And remember, it's your fault, Derek. It's not my fault. What we fault. get is your fault. It's not my fault. See, they see, were ready to play nice with us. It's your fault because, first of all, you're supposed to be the football guy. Yes, I am. We're not supposed to lose. In the words of James T. Kirk, yeah. I don't like to lose, Thomas. <laughs> And then you know what my partner does, folks? He actually goes and tells him, wow, it's a good thing that... I didn't <laughs> say it like that. <laughs> because Dirk was going to make you review this really, really Will crappy had movie. asked, Will, one of the two hosts on the show, had asked, just out of curiosity, what were you choosing? You didn't have to tell him, Tom. Then we would have gotten worse. We would have gotten two bad films instead of one bad film and one good film. All I know is I can't tell you nothing anymore. I was going to make them review that really horrible Lindsay Lohan movie. Mm -hmm. The one where she loses a leg. 
Yeah, I know who killed me. So they said, oh, he want to play it like that, huh? So yeah. that's why you don't tell him. But then they also heard that I was going to give him the Joe Spinell, Carolyn Monroe, science fiction, or Star Trek. He goes, okay, well, Tom was willing to play nice with us. So we won't give him two bad movies. Yeah, a little Just bit. one. Yeah, Namby Pamby. you Star Crash. Anybody can review Star Crash. It's Carolyn Monroe. You can look at her even in you the bad You know why I chose that movie? Because they just what? did, and once again, guys, if you are interested in a great show about movies featuring two other great guys, go to ggtmc.lipson.com and download The Gentleman Guide to Midnight Cinema. Mm-hmm. One of their most recent episodes, I think it's episode 104, is called Dust Maniac. Okay. And in it, they discuss the Joe Spinell, Carolyn Monroe slasher film, Maniac. Yeah. And that was what brought to mind the idea of giving them Star Crash, because uh-huh. Monroe and Spinell collaborated a number of times yeah, before yeah. Spinell's death. Yeah. And... Star Crash is arguably the absolute nadir of that collaboration. Mm-hmm. It was their first film together, I think. I know you've seen it. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Back in the early days, because I remember when HBO first mm-hmm. got started. That's when HBO was just throwing any old piece of crap on. Mm-hmm. And not only would they throw it on, they would rerun it. Over and over and over again. Oh, man. And I remember plenty of nights I wake up 2 o'clock in the morning. And see, I'm one of these people that once I wake up and I go to the bathroom yeah. and come back. See, I'm awake now. Yeah. And I would turn on the TV. It seemed like no matter when I turned it on, it would either be Star Crash or it would be Stroke Race. Oh. Oh, my. Yeah. I just felt the pain right yeah, here. Yeah. It would always, for some reason, 2 o'clock in the morning. Who in the hell is sitting up? Well, I was sitting yeah, there watching Star Crash. Yeah, there it goes. We are going to honor our bed. The good thing about Star Crash, though, is that you got Carolyn Monroe in that low-rent Barbarella outfit. And there you go. For about 20 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. There's a silver cloud. Although she was wearing that horrific eyeliner that made her look like Streetwalker to the Stars. Well, it was Zadie. Before we go further, everybody looked like Streetwalkers to the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a reminder that Better in the Dark is brought to you by our good friends at Audible.com who invite you to get a free audiobook downloaded www.audiblepodcast.com slash Better in the Dark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your eye pod or mp3 player sign up for a free 14-day trial including a free download of your first book just for trying out their service now as i always do i went on the audible website and looked for a couple of things that might tie into what we're about to discuss today Hmm. so you could get from audible.com right this second live from new york an uncensored history of saturday night live by tom shales and james andrew miller which i have read and is really really good it's like an oral history so it's from the words of people who are actually there so they actually have cast yeah Oh, okay, cool. We have The Dialogue, a conversation with screenwriters Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi, Mm. who created a show that we're going to kind of sort of reference during this hour Mm -hmm. called Lost, and is also behind Fringe, which is a show that you like, and another show that you and I absolutely adore, the rebooted Hawaii Five-0. Hawaii Five-0, yeah. And finally, Here We Go Again, My Life in Television by Betty White, narrated by the author. Betty White will be here to bury us when we die, apparently. Yes, yes. I bow happily to my senior citizen overlord. (laughs) (laughs) So, when the mothership comes down, there's only going to be the cockroaches and Betty White. I said Keith Richards would be there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, Keith Richards. Yeah, so bright light. I thought we were on. Now, see, that's a movie right there. (laughs) Betty White and Keith Richards, the only survivors fighting it out for control of the earth. Oh, God. 
Don't you think we should try to propagate the race? Dear, the only thing I'm going to propagate is denture cream. No, man. Because <laughs> that's where Keith Richards... They're actually thinking of doing a scientific study of him to find out because <laughs> apparently nothing will kill this man. <laughs> Maybe he's like those guys in the event. He's the next evolutionary level. I was watching something on TV. They did a DNA thing on Ozzy Osbourne. Mm-hmm. And apparently he does have this gene... Mm-hmm that makes his system resistant to drugs and alcohol and stuff, which enables him to ingest huge amounts of toxic substances, Mm. and that's why he's still alive. Of course, there's been some damage, and you can tell from the way he talks, but Keith Richards is, man, is there a drug he hasn't taken? This could just be a story, but he claims to have actually snorted his father's ashes. I've heard that, yeah. Jeshua. I mean, it might be right up there with Mick's Big Night Out, if you remember to know that story. Mm. It's not safe for podcasting. Okay, well, never mind that. We'll try to keep it as clean as we can. <laughs> but this is another way. We talked about in the previous episode a way to support us. This is another way to support us. They go to www.audiblepodcast.com backslash better in the dark. Sign up for a subscription. We get money every time you do that. I don't mean just stuff the website, though. Don't just keep Subscribing and not doing anything. <laughs> Audible.com. I have one piece of listener mail I would like to read for this episode. Oh, of course you it's, would. It's a fairly longish episode. It's from Joel Mangrum. Okay. And he said... And how much did he pay you to read this? No, no. There's a reason why I'm bringing this up. Okay, go ahead. He said, great show, gentlemen. I just wanted to throw a few comments in about Iron Man 2 and Machete. Machete. I enjoyed both movies a lot, but both had these little details wrong that kept me from loving these movies as much as I wanted to. Iron Man 2. My biggest disappointment was the lack of code names used. I know this is probably a fanboy nitpick. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm not asking for repeatedly mentioning them, but this is a comic book movie with larger-than-life characters who have, for lack of a better term, code names. We have a movie where there's a Whiplash who's never called Whiplash, a War Machine who's never called War Machine except for a passing reference, and a Black Widow who's never called Black Widow. After the initial fight, there could have been a newspaper someone's looking at with a headline saying Whiplash Attacks Iron Man, or some other way that didn't involve Mickey Rourke not actually saying the name. At the donut shop, Sam Jackson could have said, We've had Black Widow here keeping an eye on you. All I'm asking for is one single line of dialogue to establish the character's name. I don't think I'm being a fanboy to ask for the actor to mention the name of their character. Yes, you are. Having the characters state their name at some point during the movie would seem like basic one-on-one storytelling, especially for a superhero movie in which that is one of the conventions. Apply no names to any other superhero movie, and it would seem ridiculous. The Dark Knight doesn't tell you who Heath Ledger was playing. No one cares who Ian McKellen is playing in the X-Men movies, right? Who was that bald guy in Superman? No one cares what his name was. Again, ridiculous. Thirdly, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm also tired of having the bad guys killed. Nicholson's Joker, the Penguin, Two-Face, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Goblin Jr., Venom, Raisha Ghoul, Abomination, Hulkstad, etc. Just show the bad guy getting carted away in a heavily armored van, and that would be enough. Do you want to deal with this now, or should I read the rest of the email? No, go ahead and read the rest. Okay, Machete. 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 My biggest disappointment came from the time the movie was set. When I saw the original trailer, I was so jazzed to think I was going to see a mexploitation movie set in the 70s, just like all the best exploitation movies were, and the grindhouses were really going strong. Putting it in the modern day with cell phones and the like was such a shock for me that it was hard to get back into the movie. I think this was a big misstep in what would have been a great summer popcorn movie. Joel Mangrum. Okay. You want to go first? Or should I? I watched recently, because as you know, Iron Man 2 was 
released yeah. on DVD, and I watched back to back both Iron Man and Iron Man Two. Okay, I watched Iron Man Two with the commentary track, mm-hmm. and on it, John Favreau mentions that while yes, this is a comic book movie, it sounds rather ludicrous to people who are not comic book fans to have the person proclaim himself his code name. If you look at Iron Man, Iron Man isn't called Iron Man until the very end of that film. Of the first one. Where he's looking in the newspaper and he goes, Iron Man, that's kind of catchy, I guess. Right. And that was how Favreau was approaching it. And I see a lot of wisdom in what he's saying. We accept it because we've spent years looking at these little booklets and reading the text. I think it would sound really stupid to have Don Cheadle, after he dons the full-on armor for the first time, going, I am War Machine! So not even only that. What's the purpose of superhero having a code name? You have a code name so that other people don't know your real name. Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of stupid for Tony and Rhodey to be calling each other Iron Man and And War Machine Machine. when it's just the two of them together in a room. What are they going to do? Especially in the case of Tony in the movie-verse, who doesn't have a secret identity. Yeah, everybody knows he's Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And And in the case of the Black Widow, we're talking about someone who is a secret agent. She's not in the film as a superhero. Right. She's a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, nobody called her the Black Widow. Okay, but you know she's a Black Widow, so I don't understand. Why is it necessary that somebody has to say, Oh, look, that's the Black Widow. Now, when the Avengers movie comes out, if they're calling themselves by their code names. Right. I can understand that because... Exactly, yeah. Reading could mention that this was a marketing thing. Exactly. This was a way to sell Avengers toys to help finance the program. Right. Okay, now we're talking. That's like on the level when people were complaining. And I heard these fanboys was going on about, well, how come the Black Widow didn't talk with a Russian accent? She was undercover, you dick. Yes, I know. <laughs> that, that complaint so... There are, are two things I have to say oh, about that. man. One, if you are a spy living in America... Working undercover in America, and you still talk with a Russian accent, you are the shittiest spy in the world. Exactly. You're not much of a secret agent then. Yeah. In which case, you should not be in this movie. Secondly, people seem to forget that the Black Widow has never really been portrayed in the comics as having a Russian accent. Right. She's especially after the John Romita Sr. redesign, Mm -hmm. circa around 1970, where they refashioned her to make her look more like... Emma Peel. It was right. a Yeah, it was a conscious decision yeah, to make her look more like Emma Peel. Yeah. Just because she's Russian yeah. doesn't mean she, she speaks has, with a Russian accent. She has spoken colloquial English since the 70s. Sure. I don't understand why they're saying she should have an accent. She was trained to blend in from an early age. Like most spies are. They're trained not to stand out. Right. Remember, and you and I have read the same documents about the spy colleges in Russia during the Cold War, mm-hmm. where they would go to some totally out-of-the-way place in Russia mm-hmm. and build an American town. That's right. If you were recruited, you lived in that town and you, until you were sent out. And you acted and you talked and you spoke as an American. That meant you didn't have access. Right. The thing with the code names, I'm sorry if it bothers you, it doesn't bother me at all. As for Machete, with it not being set in the 70s, would the movie have been any better if it had been set in the 70s? I don't know, because to me, it had a 70s feel and sensibility right. while I was watching mm-hmm. it. I felt like it was a 70s movie. Even right. though they had cell phones and 
They had computers and right. they had all the modern day stuff that we did. But it was the spirit of the movie. It yes. felt like the 70s. And also, without the cell phones and the computers, you wouldn't have some good laugh lines. Oh, yeah. Machete yeah, I mean, don't text. Yeah, Machete don't text. Yes. Right. Now, I appreciate what he's saying, yeah. but I can't get behind that. Moving right along. Thank you very much for your input, Joel. And now we talk about... And don't let us dissuade you from emailing us again. Yes. <laughs> and now we talk about... Oh, God. Let's sell the boat, Mr. Craig. Oh, man. You just want to just dump on this guy. So we're finished with everything. We're, we're finished with everything. We're into the meat of the show now. Okay. So why don't we just get it out the way, get it out your system once and for all, because after this, I'd never want to hear it again. Tom, why, in your opinion, do you think a show crashes and burns? Okay. There are a number of factors. Okay, let's start like this. Give me three shows that, in your opinion, started out here, and folks, I'm holding my hand up, and ended up in the basement. The one that everybody cites, Moonlighting. Oh, okay. Perfect example. Probably the best example when you talk about crash. One that we talked about briefly in the previous episode, Wise Guy. Wise Guy. And Heroes. Okay. There's no real set reason why a show crashes and burns. But you don't think it's maybe studio interference? So, well, that's the thing. It's like sometimes it is studio interference, as mm-hmm. in the case of Wise Guy. Okay. Where here you had this show. Now, granted, as we established in the previous episode, the director's court on Stephen J. Cannell, which if you have not listened to, you should go and listen to now, CBS was never really comfortable with the show. They were constantly trying to do little... Oh, I can give you a fourth one. Miami Vice. Ah, yeah. Miami Vice. There you go. Yeah. Which, all of these shows started out in the first season or two, three seasons has worldwide phenomena. Another one we just talked about earlier this week. The Drew Carey Show. The Drew Carey Show, yeah. As a matter of fact, that was one of the shows that we said that we were going to talk yeah. about on this one. Started out hilarious show, excellent, mm-hmm. and then by the time it got to the end, it was squirming around and you just yeah. wanted to put around in its head to put it out of its misery. And I think why a show crashes after getting to these heights, mm-hmm. there are different reasons Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. One of my favorite shows. And one of the shows that I still think... In the case of Wise Guy, it was definitely interference from the studios. Right. And as we said in the last episode, and if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. But to summarize it very quickly, what we were saying about... Wise guy is that we're used to the serialized right. format where you have a show, you have burn notice, or you have mm-hmm. a lost, or you have just about every show, even sitcoms now, mm-hmm. have a story arc that lasts through the whole right. season. However, back when Wise Guy was on, this was a radically different yeah. concept, and the networks just could not wrap their head around it. Well, what do you mean the story goes on through the whole season? Their whole thing, and I remember reading it, was that they said, well, people aren't going to start watching it right. because they don't want to miss out on anything, and if they miss the first couple of And ironically, months, these days, people yeah. are very reluctant to pick up a new show because they don't want to be left hanging. We'll talk about that when we get we'll later look on. look at a DVR. Yeah. Lazy bastards. No, because... <laughs> no, we'll get to that later when we start talking about the shows that brung up in mm. the wake of Lost. Okay. Lost and Twin Peaks have a lot of resemblance to each other. Yes, they do. And I know that you and I have a disagreement as to how long the initial remit was mm-hmm. with Lost, but I know that Twin Peaks was originally only supposed to be one season. Well, we can look it up right now. Okay. And we can see how long Lost was supposed to last. I think it was five years. Well, we've talked about many times in the past when we've talked about television shows, mm-hmm. these shows like Buffy, mm-hmm. like Supernatural, which is in its sixth season now, but was originally supposed to be only five seasons. Right. Buffy was only supposed to be five seasons. Now that I know, you're right 100% about that. So let's 
yeah, that's part of what goes wrong with these shows. But that they're designed mm-hmm. to last three years or five years or seven years, and then what happens? Mm-hmm. Greed sets in because the show does become a hit, right? And all of a sudden, the network is saying, "Oh no, well, you can't cancel it now. This is the anchor for our Wednesday night or for our Thursday right. night. You got to keep this going." So now they got to scramble because there was one season of Lost that was a season I almost gave up on right. because it was just running in place and nothing was really happening, nothing was really mm-hmm. going on, and I'm just sitting there saying, "When are you going to go someplace? When are you going to start explaining some of the mysteries that are on this island?" Some people didn't mind it. Some people liked being kept hanging and never sweat. When that show ended, there was still a lot of stuff they never explained. Yeah. Distinctly remember reading when it was initially coming out that the original idea was it was just going to be running the one season. They had this one story they want, which is why we've talked about this. I had this theory mm-hmm. that the loss that we got, okay. the resolution we was in an entirely different continent from the resolution that J.J. Abrams and the others originally had in mind. Oh, well, they copped out on the ending because they went all mystical on us. When a writer can't figure out a way to get out of anything else, they mm-hmm. go mystical. And people, they, oh man, the ending was beautiful. It was, oh yeah. I'm not saying that the ending wasn't satisfying. Right. I'm just saying that they just went mystical on us. Because mm-hmm. they said, okay, we've created too many mysteries yeah. and we've got too many plot lines. And the only way we can wrap this up is to go mystical. When you look at a show that was a critical and popular darling at one time and then just really rapidly declines, mm-hmm. it's there's for a number of reasons. We've already talked about interference from the networks. Mm-hmm. That also happened with Twin Peaks, although it was a slightly different case where you had David Lynch come up with this large miniseries that was going to last a year. And it was so popular, it became such a sensation mm-hmm. that ABC put pressure on it to continue after the story that Lynch wanted to tell right. was over. There is the case of... Of Drew Carey, I think it was the case of the star having far too much creative control of the show. Okay. So that beyond a certain point, the show became unwatchable because it wasn't about what it was originally presented as. So it was about this weird, unrealistic fantasy life that Drew had. Right. I think with Moonlighting, and this is a big, big lesson for anybody wanting to create a TV show. Don't Based it around sexual tension of the cast members. Yeah, that's a bugaboo that we still have even today mm-hmm. in TV shows like Bones and Castle. Where, mm-hmm. to me, the whole show is sold on the sexual tension between the two. I don't care about the sexual tension between yeah. them. Either they have not boots or not. I really couldn't give a shit. It seems like even on shows like Lie to Me, they don't want to play the sexual tension card, but they feel like they're obligated to. Yeah. And this is happening a lot in the third season that just started because Lone Star crashed and burned within two episodes. <laughs> <gasps> that, that didn't even crash and burn. It never even got off the landing. It, it, it blew up on the landing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I have talked about why we think it failed, which is that it and was this is horribly why, marketed. This whole... Oh, okay, we'll get back to that in a minute, but just let me say that. And this is why you and I have such a trepidation about mm. our favorite show of last season. The, the human, human Target. Tar- the Human Target. Because now they're introducing a female character and it looks like they're trying that crap on yeah. there too with the sexual tension. Which to me, the show was perfect the way it was. <laughs> And they even had introduced a romantic interest for Chance mm-hmm. in the character played by Emmanuel Bonnier. Right, the federal agent. Who I really, really yeah, liked. Who was really cool, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But no, they have to throw it at your love interest. But it's like really weird because I've been watching these first couple of episodes of Lie to Me, and they don't want to give Lightman, the Tim Roth character, a relationship with his partner, played by probably the luckiest woman on television because she has never been out of work. 
Kelly Williams. Okay. Who was the most obnoxious part of the practice. It has jumped from TV show to TV show effortlessly. But they keep playing that card because they feel like it's obligated. Even yeah. when they introduced a character in this last season who was a hieress who turned out to be innocent mm-hmm. of a murder. It looked like he was going to get into a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Then they had this crooked cop he was in a relationship with her. But they can't do that because they feel like it has to be about those two characters. Yeah, and I know that there's some of the female listeners out there say, oh, Derek and Tom, what do you have against romance? I got nothing against romance. I love romance. All you have to do is read my Vaulted Visions Avengers West Coast series and know what I'm all about. Right, I love romance. That sexual tension there are times when Derek complains, you want to have every one of our Avengers hooked up, don't you? Yeah, which you do. But that sexual tension crap that they play on these shows, that's not romance, that's gameplay. They are pandering to the audience Mm -hmm. because they think that's what people want to see. It's what killed the X-Files. Yup. Because once you start playing that game, Mm -hmm. right, there's only two ways you can go with it. They're either not going to sleep together or they are going to sleep together. And when they sleep together, if you're an audience member, for you, yeah, it's kind of like having sex. And what happens after you have sex? You roll over and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Now once the two characters on the show have sex, that's it. I gotta admit, it kind of amazes me that I don't know, there are some people who are just sick of hearing me talk about Chuck, but you started their new season. And they finally gave in to the romantic tension between the two main characters. Okay. And they're keeping the show going and they're managing not to lose the fan base it has. Because Chuck, even though I don't particularly yeah. care for it, but I recognize his popularity and from what I know about it, Chuck has so much other things go yeah. for it. The sexual tension isn't the whole also, thing that the show is based around. I think what they're doing is they're saying, well, what do you do when you're in a relationship with a person who lies for a living? Well, see, they're going forward with it. The whole show, it's got other things that are mm-hmm. working yeah. for it. When you have a show that's just based around the sexual tension mm-hmm. of the two characters, like Moonlighting, what happened with that was that it stopped being about them solving the mysteries. We should talk about Moonlighting for those of you who don't remember this show. And this was a major hit. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing something about Moonlighting. Moonlighting the, was a... The theme song was a top yeah. ten hit. BCT TV series, an hour-long TV series created in... It was the 80s. 1982 uh, 83. Yeah. I'm uh, going to say. Actually, it was from March 3rd, 1985. It was a mid-season oh, replacement. Yeah. And it lasted four years. And it is most notable in that it was the first starring role for a New Jersey bartender mm-hmm. turned actor called right. Bruce Willis. It was about a woman who had a private detective firm played mm-hmm. by Sybil Shepard. It was kind of like almost like a variation on the old Remington Steel idea. Sybil Shepard played Madison right. H- Maddie Hayes. And what had happened was that her agent or her manager had mm-hmm. run off with a lot of her money. But he had invested it into and a lot of other things to hide the yeah. money. And one of them was the Blue Moon Detective the Agency, agency right. which was run by David Addison, right. who was played by Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And since this was her only asset... What she was planning to do was sell it off and get some of right. her money back. And David Addison persuades her not to do so and actually mm-hmm. talks her into becoming a partner in the right. fr- solving mysteries with him. Yes. And that was the premise of the whole show. And it started out as being a fairly conventional drama. What made people start looking at it was this sexual tension, which was, which I think, kind of partially rose up from this kind of chemistry these two actors had. Right. And then when it came back for its first full season, it started to get bored 
with. Well, they started doing the little quirky episodes, like they did one, the black and white one set in the 1940s. The, the flashback always rings twice. Yeah, they did that. That one. was clever. You look at the series as a continual artifact, and you'll notice that the, the stories become more and more nonsensical. Right. The first season, if I remember correctly, ended with an episode where they got so written into a corner, they just had a wacky chase scene between Whoopi Goldberg and the two main characters in golf cars across the Paramount Studio yeah, lot. That's how I think the second season ended. And what happened, it was... What's that guy from The Breakfast Club? He was the bad guy. Oh, that was in that yeah, one. I know. Peter Coyote? No, not Peter not Coyote. Coyote. He was one of the kids that was held in detention. Emilio Estevez. Not Emilio Not Emilio Estevez. Estevez no. The dark-haired guy. But he was the bad guy. And Whoopi Goldberg was a homeless woman that had lucked onto solving yeah. a crime or she stopped the crime. So David got the bright idea yeah. to hire her mm-hmm. as a partner. And the plot was so convoluted that they had the chasing. And then they literally just walked off the set. Yeah. They walked to the parking lot mm-hmm. and they got in their cars and they said, okay, well, it was fun. See you later. And that's how the second season ended. And this was another thing that I think. And that was another thing that Moonlighting became noted for because they frequently broke the fourth wall. Right. And he said, they knew they was in the TV show and they yeah. said, well, move out the way. You know, well, why are you doing that? Oh, yeah, well, do you see the killer? He said, no, but you're blocking that camera number three. He, they can't get my yeah. clothes up. That brings us to another thing that I think that killed Drew Carey, which was something happened. They did a show where they broke the fourth wall once mm-hmm. and everybody liked it so much they kept doing it again and again and again until there was no room for story. It was all about... Right. Well, that was the same thing that happened with Moonlight. I, fact, I think the first time it broke fourth wall was... When it was. I, I remember this very clearly. Was They were having an argument, the two of them. They reached a point where it was an obvious joke to be said. Mm-hmm. But instead of saying it, they just stopped and turned his ones to the camera mm-hmm. and just stared at you for a moment. Yeah. And then went back to the scene. Yeah. That was the problem with Moonlighting. Eventually, it wasn't about solving a mystery or solving a crime. Yeah. It got to be about, okay, well, how many self-referential jokes can we put in? Yeah. How much breaking of the fourth wall that we could... That's not what you're coming to watch the show for. You're coming to watch still, the show... Even during this point where it was a show about nothing, mm-hmm. it still had this massive fan audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until Maddie... And David slept together. Bingo. You could almost hear the brakes on the show screeching it to a dead halt. You could see the Hindenburg blowing up. Yeah. Oh, oh, the humanity. <laughs> and I think it limped along barely for one season after that. Yeah. And it was all this other stuff. Like they introduced the character played by Mark Harmon. Yeah. Maddie <laughs> turned out pregnant and it was either David or oh, Mark Harmon's. Right. Oh, and it limped along for a year and then quietly died a death. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, the first time people said, when they were remarking about how it bright this show burned. Mm-hmm. And then... Burned out. However, mm-hmm. the show crashed and burned, but not the careers of Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. Yeah. Bruce Willis, of course, on the basis of this and mm-hmm. the Die Hard movie, yep. he became a true megastar. Mm-hmm. And Sybil Shepard, she had two TV series after yeah, that. And she yeah. also had a little bit of a, of a reblooming of her film career for a while. Yeah. She was a gorgeous woman back then. Oh, yeah. Oh. Sybil Shepard, she was okay. I liked her. Mm-hmm. Sybil Shepard is one of these modern day mm-hmm. actresses, and there are very few of them. She looked like she could have been back then. The 30s and 40s. Yeah. But that was, I think, the first time people started referring to it as a crash and burn TV show. Oh, yeah. It's funny how many of these are ABC shows, by the way. Oh. Because <laughs> you have this, you have Twin Peaks. We should mention that shows like the ones we're discussing now should not be confused with shows like Dark Angel, where the network made a certain commitment to a creator for a certain number of years and just let him play out. Fox never did that again. They should have talked to the guys at NBC mm-hmm. when they made that deal with Steven Spielberg and the oh, yeah. 
yeah, stories. Amazing story. For those of you who don't remember, Amazing Stories mm-hmm. was a 30-minute anthology show in the style of The Twilight Zone right. or The Outer Limits. And that came on at the time when Steven Spielberg was mega hot. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy was nuclear. So what he did, he got a firm commitment for them. Yeah, for two whole years. For two whole years, no matter what. NBC said, of course, well, that's Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? Right. <laughs> what could go wrong was that the show was a massive flop, but they had to keep running. Yeah. Another they, example they no choice. of a show that had a firm commitment that I'm sure Fox really, really regretted was Millennium. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, you can look at the whole relationship between Chris Carter and Fox as a microcosm of how relationships oh. sometimes go in Hollywood. Chris Carter comes up with The X-Files. And here's another show that was killed dead by them giving into the shippers. Yeah. Hate the shippers. I guess we should explain what a shipper is. You can. I wouldn't touch it. With a, a shipper is a group of fans. I can't who stand them. Believe totally. Cannot stand that every them. television show has to be about the two leads falling in love. When the X Files started in 1990, there were interviews, and I have read these interviews. I have too. Where you had I'll back up 100. percent I remember this famous quote from Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson said, "Chris assured me there are three things you will never see on the X Files." Mulder in bed with Scully, Scully in bed with Skinner, mm-hmm. or Mulder in bed with Skinner. Right. That went out the window as the ratings started to slip somewhere around the fifth season. You want to know what I don't understand? And th- this is where I'm going to alienate our female listeners. Mm-hmm. But it's the perversity of women about mm-hmm. this thing. Men and women work together. They're in an office, right? Mm-hmm. Men and women can work together and there doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be any sexual tension or romance going mm-hmm. along. They work together. They're friends. They're but. People do it all the time. We have millions of women and men that work together in offices and never fall in love. Women will say, well, if you're together with a man long enough, you'll fall in love with, oh, so you mean to tell me that just because I work with you every day or I'm in close proximity with you, eventually I'm going to want to go to bed with you. I don't believe that. There are some women I'm grateful that never happened. Women say, it's not realistic. I got into an argument. Remember we were on that message board one time and we were talking to this woman that was talking about, oh, yeah, Doctor Who should, and and Rose... You know, oh. should get together. And, not who should get together? And she said, "Well, it's not realistic that a man and a woman are going to be together that much, and they're not going to have sex." This is coming from a woman now. Now, me as a man, if I said that, a lot of women would have problems with that. She's also one of those fans, and I hate these fans as well. They like a new version of something, so the older version has to suck in every possible way. And see, you know what my issue is of Doctor Who having uh, romance Mm -hmm. with human females. He's 750 years old, so a human female is like a child to him. In right. both age, experience, everything. Isn't that kind of like pedophilia? Right. <laughs> Why would you be attracted to it? Yeah, you like him. Now, when they gave him the Time Ladies, yeah. and he had Romana, Romana, okay, I understood that. It's a Time Lady. It's one of his own race. Yeah. Of course he's going to be attracted to her. But X-Files, that was the stupidest reason in the world for why Mulder and Scully should get together. Well, yeah. they've been through so much. And the thing that I loved about those early seasons, and I, I've always said that you can pinpoint the moment that the X-Files went south. To the moment that Morgan and Wong left the series for good. Right. Which is ties into the whole thing with Millennium, which we'll discuss in a moment. The thing I loved about the X-Files, about these two characters, is that they had a chemistry. They had they were great co-workers and great friends. Right. I remember reading an article from Entertainment Weekly where the person was talking about they're an old married couple and that they don't need to have sex because they already have that intimacy. Right. But no, they couldn't keep well enough alone and starting with season five, they started teasing some ideas. Mm-hmm. Do, for example, that awful two-part episode. The mm-hmm. one where 
Mulder's body is switched with the character played by Michael McKean. And Michael McKean is in Mulder's body and he, mm. he puts the moves on. Yeah. They would do little tricks like that. And did you ever see the last X-Files movie they did where apparently they're living yeah. together? And Mulder they're still Scully. calling each other Mulder, Mulder and Scully! That just blew my freaking mind! <laughs> I kind of think if you're living together and sleeping together, that's like me and my wife call each other Ferguson yeah. and Cabbage Store. That is insane! So... X-Files became a big hit, mm-hmm. obviously, that first five seasons. When they moved the X-Files at the beginning of season five to Sunday nights from its Friday night 9 o'clock birth. I knew that was a kiss of death right there. Well, they lasted for four more seasons. Really? It was a hair shy of going ten seasons. On Sunday nights? On Sunday oh, nights. Wow. I must have stopped watching it about when that When they time moved then. it, they decided to take the 9 o'clock slot it originally had and give it to Chris Carter. And he created Millennium. The first episode of Millennium was the highest rated Fox program to date mm-hmm. at that time. And it started wearing on people. I know there are people, and I know Des Reddick loves the show. I know John S. Drew loves the show. But the majority of people were bored out of their mind by this show <laughs> because it was like plinking the same note on a piano yeah. over yeah. and over and over now again. there are individual episodes mm-hmm. that i can watch and i love the one with charles nelson Raleigh as well here charles. we're getting this is where we're getting to Jose the second charles. season yeah with your boys more than yes. one during the second season of millennium and the sixth season of the x-files mm-hmm. chris carter was busy doing the x-files movie right doing post mm-hmm. so he asked morgan and wong who had just done a failed year-long series called space above and beyond to come back and take over Millennium for the season, mm-hmm. and also to be the showrunners for the first half of the season of the X-Files. Right. Which is where we get some of the best X-Files episodes. Right. For the second season of Millennium, they installed their brother, Darren Morgan, mm-hmm. a real absolute genius. And the thing is about Darren Morgan is apparently he just does not like to write, mm. which is why he doesn't write very often. Okay. He'll write for his brother, but other people he's uncomfortable with. He just doesn't like, yeah. Because I would love to have seen him script a Buffy episode. Mm-hmm. Or an episode of Dollhouse. Something in the, the Whedonverse. The first thing they do, in fact, and I remember this because I watched the beginning of the end, mm-hmm. which is the first episode of the second season, and I said, this is going to be okay now because... It's one of the first scenes in the thing. Frank goes to visit a friend of his who's a mortician. And the mortician is playing the squirrel nut zippers. Hell. In the afterlife. yeah. And Frank comes in and does a little dance. Yeah. They actually let the guy smile once in a while. Well, that episode you were about to talk about. The episode Mm -hmm. with Charles Nelson Reilly. Was built solely because Glenn went to his brother and said... Write me a script where Frank smiles. And it's comedy. It's a spoof of Dale Ron Hubbard, yeah. Dianetics. And it's a very funny episode, even though it ends kind of tragically. But yeah. it's a funny episode. Because it ends with Jose, Jose Chung gets murdered. And, of course, the other script that Darren Morgan wrote is one of the most brilliant hours of television I've ever seen. The one the three Somehow demons. the devil got behind me. With the three demons having yeah. coffee and talking exactly. about the encounters with the best episode of Millennium. But the thing was, Chris Carter didn't like the he, fact he that people like were going... Yay, Morgan and Wong! And he didn't like it, yeah. So he took it away from them after the second season, Mm -hmm. proceeded to slag them in every single possible way possible. He did 
that episode and me and you have said probably the worst episode of X Files mm-hmm. where it was so obvious he was trying to pull a Morgan yeah. on the wall and couldn't do it. Oh, the Burt Reynolds. Oh, there were a number of episodes he had done since mm-hmm. then. The Postmodern Prometheus. Postmodern Prometheus, yeah. Which I hated. Yeah, the one you're talking about. He did a number of these where he was trying to prove that he was funnier yeah. than Darren Morgan. That one with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Me and you are still trying yeah. to figure out what the that one was about. And it was the beginning of the end for Fox and Carter because they had come into three years. Yeah. And he turned Millennium into X-Files light. But what they did was that Fox finally put their foot on his neck with Harsh Realm. Because yeah. it was six episodes that had been done. And after three, they said, we're tired of this crap. <laughs> and he still put digs against Fox in episodes of the X-Files. This guy would not know when to shut up. Which is probably why we don't hear from Chris yeah, Carter much like anymore. Every once in a while, I'll hear some weird news bit about him starting up a new film. And it's never again. In fact, I was surprised there was a second X-Files movie. Yeah, I was honestly surprised. Well, from what I understand, it was a case of Fox wanting to have a franchise that they could bring back every couple of years and had asked Carter to come back and do a one-done feature film. Well, that wasn't it. We went to see it because Patricia really was the big X-Files fan. Mm -hmm. And I watched it because of her. Because you know me. Fox Mulder should have been ashamed to go pick up a check every week. Because he was the Worst investigator. Oh, you know in what really amazes me? My probably my favorite season of the later half of the X Files mm-hmm. is season eight. Okay, where we don't see Mulder except for three episodes. Right, and it's Scully and Doggett. Right, Robert Patrick. First off, it woke Gillian Anderson up. Yeah, because I think Gillian Anderson was. Board. And also, it was good because now, when that happened, it put her in the Mulder role. Yeah. Where she was the believer and Doggett was the unbeliever. Which, me, I love because sometimes her stubborn refusal to believe mm-hmm. in the obvious that was right in front of her face struck yeah. me as being a little bit weird. You've obviously seen evidence of extraterrestrial so life. Things. Yeah. And you still say, well, Mulder, that can't be true. It can't be a rat, bat, cat, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he said, don't you see the body right there? Well, just because I see the body does not yeah, mean it's, it's a rat, it's, cat, bat, man. <laughs> oh. The rat, cat, bat, see, now, now, there we go. The rat, cat, bat, man <laughs> should fight the crazy babies in a <laughs> So they go down to Mexico <laughs> to save Danny Trejo, their uncle. From the rat bat cat. From the rat cat man, yeah. who of course is the source of all the chupacabra legends. Uh, absolutely. There you go. There you go. We got, we're going to write this we thing write yet. This thing we're going to write this thing yet, folks. Because we love you, Electra and Elisa. We're going to write this thing yet. Right after I write the Die Hard 5. Yes. The Harsh Realm thing, and he would never let that go. because no, he, would, no. he would work all these digs at Fox into, no. into the X-Files. Then, of course, came the last gasp of their relationship, which was, of course, the Lone Gunman. The Lone Gunman was good. I liked the Lone Gunman. I liked the pilot. I could not stand everything that followed. It ran, what, like about like a season? Le- yeah, less if than a that, season. It was no, a less season replacement. Yeah. 13 episodes. And, and that's not even a DVD. Yeah, I think you can find it actually on DVD. Oh, okay. They released you know, everything. Because, yeah, Carter. it's funny that you say that because that pilot episode is the one where they were looking for the formula that turned water into gas. Yeah. And the experimental car. That's the only that one. That was I one that was really kind of creepy because it was, it was shot before 2001. Yeah. And it was the one that involved the terrorists yeah. driving the plane mm. into the World Trade Center. And that's the only episode I remember out of it. Even though I distinctly remember watching it every week. Mm-hmm. Because it had that nice 60s yeah. style opening, like right. the Avengers or the Persuaders See, or something one, like that. We've talked about this before. That's one of the reasons I, and I'm dreading 
seeing what the titles for season two of the, the Human Target are going to be like. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the Human Target season one is that they were old school old titles. Old school titles, yeah. It was a pleasure to see a show that had real opening credits yeah. for a change now. As opposed to just the title card. And that's one of the other reasons why we love the new Hawaii Five-O. In that it has an opening credit sequence. Not only that, it's an opening credit sequence that mirrors the original opening credit yeah, sequence. Absolutely. They do the thing out there where they say the same thing that Jack Lord used to say at the end of every episode. One of the actors is, we'll see you then. Aloha. Aloha, yeah. Don't get me wrong, people. I'm not endorsing it has a smart program, but it's so enjoyable. But if you're like me and Tom and you mm-hmm. grew up watching cop shows of the 70s and 80s, you're going to love this because that's what it is. This is a 70s, 80s cop show. They don't use computers. There's no forensics. There's yeah. no DNA. Well, no, I mean, I think one of the things I love about the show is that the McGarrett character, the way he acts, he stepped out of a CSI show. Well, every once in a while, usually once in yeah. every show, they'll have him do something like there was one show where the guy took the hostages. He was getting the finger mm-hmm. prints from the knife and used yeah. the makeup kit from yeah. one of the hostages to get the finger. Well, my favorite is when there was the episode where they're tracking after the gun runner and they go to the, the chop shop and he opens up and all these. He's like, "What's with all these?" Oh, the pizza boxes, yeah. Says, give me some iodine. iodine. Yeah. And he explains how it bonds with certain sugars, and I'm like, wow, that is there. so cool. They see yeah. that it was a Uzi because yeah. of the metal is on there. I said, holy shit, this guy. But that's what I love. The charm of it comes from, of course, McGarrett being. Mr. CSI guy mm-hmm. and Danny Williams being just Mr. Cop guy. Yeah, Mr. Cop guy. Yeah, just plain old cop. Out of all of the remakes I've seen, this is one that clicks on yeah. all levels. This one is not going to crash and burn. Well, at least I hope it doesn't. It's apparently one of the few shows that has actually gotten a big rating that people are excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is, of all things, Wildcats, the CW lawyer becomes a cheerleader show, but that's because Ashley Tinsdale is on that. Yeah, well. Chris Carter behaved like such a freaking spoiled baby throughout it that Fox, after a while, was just glad to be rid of his ass. Oh, yeah. Well, have you seen Chris Carter anywhere lately? Other than, of course, I want to believe X-Files 2. God, what a load of crap. That was a lousy movie. Let me be fair to it. It's not that it was a bad movie, but it was a completely unnecessary movie. As a matter of fact, yeah. they could have put that on television. I understand what their idea was, was that if this was their pilot for a franchise. Mm-hmm. And what they wanted to do was do a done-in-one story. Because they figured that the problem with the first one, but I forget what the subtitle of the first X-Files movie Fight was. the Future. Fight the Future. Was that it was so involved with the mythology of the show that... Only fans went to see it. Nobody else understood what the hell was going on. I really felt offended. I had to go to the movie theater to see what it amounted to a two-hour-long episode. That's exactly what the second one was. That's what they wanted. They wanted more of the done-in-one Monster of the Week story. Mm. And unfortunately, they chose a stupid-ass story to tell. Yeah, it was. Although, I love the way it was photographed. That snowy yeah. village. It was photographed beautifully. Matter of fact, it was photographed better than it had to be. Honestly. Vancouver pretending to be Washington. I don't know who the cinematographer was, but I like the Billy Connolly Although, character. I think that the Billy Connolly character could have been rewritten. I just like Billy Connolly. That's I'm not complaining about Billy Connolly. The problem was, I think they made him into a defrocked, molesting priest. <laughs> solely because <laughs> then you would have all these long, involved scenes of Scully excoriating him like you suck because you touched little this movie for a movie to be built as a thriller it was the least thrilling thriller I've ever seen and this is why I say it should have been shown on TV I've never seen a theatrical movie with so many long scenes of just two people talking 
and talking in low voice. I actually had to lean forward. Well, what are they saying? Because they're talking very. It was very. And the weird. thing was, when the entropic element was finally introduced, you were like, "This is what to- we were going through." Yeah. Give me a fluke, man. Give me something. Yeah. Give me tombs. Give me somebody. This was a case of just person involved with the production getting so unpleasant mm-hmm. that Fox decided Millennium is gone. Mm-hmm. Just work on the X Files. But I want to do this. No, you get three episodes of that. That sucked. Well, actually, six were filmed, but they only showed yeah. three. Because I believe Harsh from all six episodes yeah. come out on, on video. Yeah, on a video later on. Not that anybody cared at right. that point. And I believe that the creator of the comic book, James Hudnall, was yeah. his name. Oh, he, he disowned it. He sued the shit out of this Fox not- and Chris Carter because, from my understanding, it, it has nothing to do. Right. He just took the title because he liked the title. Right. And he created a completely wholly different story from the one that was in The only comic thing book. that the, the comic book and the movie have in common is the fact that there is virtual reality technology yeah. involved. Everything else is totally different. Then there's the case of somebody getting so much creative control mm-hmm. and this is where we get to talk about the Drew Carey show. Where the Drew Carey show and this lasted almost 10 years. Yeah, it lasted a long and time. It's, and at its height, Drew Carey ruled Wednesday night because mm-hmm. it was the Drew Carey show then right after that it was, it was the improv right. show. 9 to 10 yeah. was Drew Carey. Yeah, 9 to hour. 10, yeah. First off, the Drew Carey got his show because of something that you and I talked about, which was the success of Seinfeld. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted a sitcom. Everybody wanted a sitcom. And right. you had things like the Brett Butler. There's another show that burnt fairly bright, because I remember correctly, the first season, a lot of people liked that show. I liked it too. And it, it died very quickly after that. Well, that's because Brett Butler also she got hooked to a coke. She started drinking a lot. That's sad. And, and she, and she was, became a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad because she was such a talented. She was yeah. back in the old days when she was just a stand-up comedian. She was actually smoking hot. And with that southern accent. Exactly. Yes. See, I was about to bring that up. Brett Butler was hot. You had Seinfeld, and then you had Home Improvement, which was also a great success. Mm-hmm. And so every comedian had their eye on Hollywood. Actually, Drew Carey was originally picked up by NBC, because they did a show called The Good Life, which only lasted a half a season. It was actually pretty quirky, very weird. And then he came over to ABC and did The Drew Carey Show. I really enjoyed it for a while. I liked it, too, because Drew Carey wasn't mm-hmm. your conventional leading man. Yeah. He was this chunky, heavyset guy mm-hmm. with these 1950. Buddy Holly glasses, this army crew cut. I like Drew Carey because he didn't look like anybody yeah. else on TV at the time. And his friends were all kind of dorky in yeah. some way. <laughs> we had Ryan Stiles, who has no chin whatsoever. Yeah. He and looks it, like an ostrich. Yeah, and probably the best looking of the three was, of course, Diedrich Bader. Diedrich Bader, yeah. But even he had that kind of like goggle-eyed look. Diedrich Bader. You know what was the first place I saw him at, you're not going to believe it. There's a couple episodes of Star Trek, Next Generation. I did not know that. I, I first became aware of him when he did Danger Theater for Penelope Spheres. And he's got that voice. You don't expect that voice to come out of this guy. Danger Theater just came out recently on DVD. Uh-huh. Try to find it on Netflix because he was hilarious as the search. He was playing The Searcher. The Searcher. It was like a, a Knight Rider style character. He would ride around and solve crimes and such. And it was, I am The Searcher. <laughs> and I can imagine I that I search for things. He's got the wild... You're looking... Wow, did that voice come out of you? And of yeah. course, now, he's doing the voice of Batman yeah. on The Brave and the And of Bowl. course, the best looking person in the entire show for the entire length of the show was Krista Miller. <laughs> oh, God, she was hot. 
the thing I liked about the show when it started out was that it was a workplace comedy that was going to be a lot more honest about being a workplace comedy. And this was the first place a lot of people saw he's red hot now. Craig Ferguson, because he, he was the boss on that show. Right. It was set in this fictitious it was department a, store. Right, a department store. And then they came up with the idea, I think it was in the middle of the second season, and it was just going to be a one-shot idea of doing a music video. And the first one, apparently, according to the Wikipedia that I have here, was for the Vogue's 5 o'clock world, which they did at the front of an episode, instead of Moon Over Parma, which was the original theme song. Yeah, Moon Over Parma. Yeah. yeah. People liked that. So they did another one for an episode, to Magic Carpet Ride, for an episode where they did a takeoff on the full month. And before you knew it, Drew Carey's sensibilities took over whole. Know what I still think is the best one that they did, though? The best musical sequence? They did one with Hal Linden from one of my favorite musicals I've talked about, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. They did Mm -hmm. the Brotherhood of Man number, and they did the 5 o'clock getting up in the morning. Yeah, 5 o'clock world. 5 o'clock world. Okay, yeah, 5 o'clock. That was the best one they ever did. Before you know it, because this kind of wackiness, we had the improv episode. You had the episode with the hey, annual so, mistake contest. Hey, folks, how many mistakes can you find in this? Yeah. Okay, once a year is cool yeah. when you do that, but not when you do it every third or fourth episode. And the funny thing is, is that as this was going on, Carrie, whose character started out as somebody that we could all kind of relate to, his life became more and more unrealistic to the point yeah. where in the last two seasons, he was married to two women at the same time. It turned into a live-action cartoon. Yeah. You've heard my theory about the American sitcom, right? Mm-hmm. But they haven't told them. <laughs> there is a line I call the Bugs Bunny line. Okay. Every sitcom eventually crosses the Bugs Bunny line. Every sitcom starts out with characters who are more or less realistic. And they do these realistic stories. And then, somewhere around like the fourth or fifth season, the characters start becoming caricatures mm-hmm. of what they started out as. Mm-hmm. And that's when all the wacky stunts start happening. At that point, and I name it for an episode of Night Court, and I think it was the fifth season, mm-hmm. where they brought the coyote. Yeah, they actually brought the coyote yeah. and the roadrunner in there. And yeah. They had a bunch <laughs> When a sitcom crosses the Bugs Bunny line, it loses me. Totally. And you know what show is guilty of Even though it's still funny, I know you don't like it, but I watch it every week. 30 Rock. Well, it's not that I don't like it. I just... Originally... You figure I would because I adore Mm -hmm. Tina Fey. Right. Oh, yeah. I think she's absolutely funny. Because originally, the show was supposed to be about her keeping the crazy Tracy Morgan character Mm -hmm. in line. Everybody else played it pretty much straight. But now you got to the point where everybody's acting crazy and wacky. Even Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin. Now, Alec Baldwin has won a couple of Emmy Awards yeah. for his thing. But if you go back to the first season, when he played it absolutely straight, and he was hilarious mm-hmm. because he played it like right. he didn't know he was in the comedy. Yeah. But yeah, 30 Rock has crossed that because now everybody yeah. on the show is acting just as wacky as a Tracy Morgan character, whereas before they didn't do that. Yeah. And what happened was, after a while, people started leaving the Drew Carey show in droves. Yeah, yeah. And the show started dropping more and more ratings. And eventually, I think that whole last season, ABC just kind of like played scheduled roulette with it. Just to burn off those episodes so they could finally say you're gone. And just say you're gone, yeah. And have you seen him lately? After he's lost all his weight? Lost, yeah, well, he's, he's on unre- he's Price unre- is Right, right? Those, uh, Price is Right. I just saw him recently. He was on an episode mm-hmm. of Community. Right. 
which is probably the funniest sitcom that I watch. But yeah, he's lost a tremendous amount of weight. I just will not watch a sitcom anymore. There is one sitcom I do watch, and you know which one it is. But for the majority of this, I'm tired of watching the shows and being able to predict where the script will dictate where oh, the sure, characters are. Sure. This came out of watching an episode of Gary and Married, where I was, this is the same thing as I Married Dora five years ago, 15 years ago. <laughs> Which I put up with because Elizabeth Pena was smoking hot in it. Well, yeah. That's the only reason why I watch one of the most unfunniest sitcoms I've ever seen, The King of Queens. Because oh, this guy... Yeah, it's got her on it. I mean, you know what? It's 30 minutes of crap, but if yeah. I get to look at her in a pair of tight jeans for 30 oh minutes... God, <laughs> she is the repository of evil. Have you ever read any interview with her? Yeah. She's she a, is a she's monster she's, of the first sort. She's nasty. She don't like nothing, do she? No. She is so horrific as she, a human being. She's on this show now, which is a yeah. copy of ABC's The View. Right. CBS has got their mm-hmm. children. But they've got six women. Right. And she's one of them. Patricia said, have you ever seen... The show, because she said, have you ever listened to her? And I said, no. She said, watch this. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking. I said, oh my God, I had no idea she was yeah, like exactly. this. Every once in a while, one of our friends on Facebook will post a smoking hot picture of her. Mm-hmm. And I'll look at her, and then I remember some of the stuff that she said, and it just... Yeah. On top of that, she's a Scientologist. She's a Scientologist. It's just like having a Hitler pie and putting some Osama Bin Laden ice cream on top now, of it. Now, now... This is a free country. You can worship your choice, follow any religion, no matter how you know, no, no matter how crazy it is. <laughs> John Travolta is a Scientologist, and I don't approve of Scientology. But you would never know it. But yeah, well, not only that. Remember, and we, you and I have talked about this incident when the, the Haiti earthquake happened. What did John Travolta do? He organized his fellow Scientologists and personally flew supplies down mm-hmm. to Haiti, and yet when. People interviewed him about this. Mm-hmm. He kept the religion out of it. Because well, his, his, his message was more, this is something anybody can do. This is, right. This is what you do as a human being. A human religion being. doesn't yeah. even, it doesn't have to be about the religion all yeah. the time. You do things just because you're a human being and you want to help out other human beings. Yeah. Yeah, so do I approve of John Travolta's religion? Hell no. But I can still respect him as a human well, being. I was asking you to approve of his religion. No, well, my point being as compared to Leah Remini, where everything <laughs> is about her religion. Oh, yeah, I know. And that's you know, what I'm saying, is that there's yeah, ways yeah. to... Yeah, that's exactly what I said a minute ago. If you didn't know anything about John Travolta, and just yeah. you wouldn't know he was a Scientologist, because exactly. he doesn't wear it on his sleeve, like some other people do. Oh, yeah, I agree with you on she that one. so evil. But yeah, some of the things she said, I said, man, that's smoking body is hiding a monster living inside of her. I would have to put a gag over her if I would touch her. And you would. Yes, I would. All right, then. So we've talked about Drew Carey. We've yeah. talked about Millennium. We've, we've talked, talked about, about Moonlighting. Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks. About, you want to get it out your system it's now? It's time to confront the 500-pound gorilla in the room. In the cheerleader outfit. Who? <laughs> 500-pound gorilla in the, in the room with a cheerleader outfit on. Oh, Heroes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, you go ahead. Well, there were a number of things, I think, that contributed to Heroes' demise. That's probably yeah. the most recent example yeah. of what we're talking Although about. Th- and this is why I think it was so spectacular. You had the comic books. You right. had the webisodes. You had all of this stuff going. And on top of that... You had the tour across country. It was the 
only one, I think, that gained that sort of notoriety that Lost had gotten. Because yeah. right after Lost had happened, you had... And you and I went down a list of oh, all these yeah. shows. That Fast Forward. Daybreak. The, the Nine. Uh, invasion. It, yeah. Surface. Threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Threshold was a little bit more of an episodic show than the other two. Right. Drive. Prison Break, which actually, according to you, last four years. Not according to me. Okay. We looked it up. Folks, he's trying to make me look stupid here. I didn't say you were stupid. Dri- Drive was no one. They gave it three episodes, yeah, and then they cut it. And I like Drive. I gotta be honest with you. I only lasted the first two. I got really annoyed with the structure of the show, which was, here's Nathan Fillion doing a character part with one of the other characters. Now here's ten minutes of driving. Now here's some character stuff with Dylan Baker and his daughter. Now here's another ten minutes of driving. But what else was they supposed to do? I think there was far too many montages on the show. But and the I- show is called dry. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> I thought that the whole overarc framework of the mysterious people yeah, well, was uh, really annoying. Yeah, and I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to do it's a madman, mad, mad, mad yeah. world, and the great race. I think they should have went for a more comedic type of slant. The yeah. overarching thing with the mysterious people yeah. manipulating them the into council. this. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, come on. Not everything has to be a conspiracy. Agreed. But Heroes was the one that seemed to look like it was going to break away from that path. Yes, it did. Now, granted, I'm on record as really hating that show from the first episode. You're unusual in that right from the start, you didn't like the show. I had problems with the way the show was structured. I think that Heroes died for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons was, I think what Tim Kring pitched to the networks was not what Tim Kring produced for the network. If you ever go back and read some of those first interviews before this show had come out, where Kring was talking about how this was a global show, and this was a show where there was a danger for every character, and you would see main characters die, and we'll see... And it was supposed to be interaction between people without powers and and people people with powers, powers. and yes, not all of the characters in the first season, you won't be seeing them in the second season. And you're right. Every season, my understanding was going to be a graphic novel, and you would have that, which is why we had the at the beginning of the season, it's to say book one, book one, and every one. episode was called issue one, or issue two, two. right? And if he had stuck to that, we would have had some. Unfortunately, what happened? The show blew up. It became a success. Everybody and MB- loved certain characters. And NBC stepped in and said, you can't kill anybody. We don't want to mess with this. To the this. point where I think they actually killed Siler off at the end of the but first. They kept they bring, bring him back. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, in the first one, oh, uh, yeah, they killed them off. Right. That was when they got to Kirby Plaza yeah. and they had the big fight with all of the superpower mm-hmm. characters. And that's another thing that I could tell that the show was really starting to go downhill. You never watched it, but during that last season, yeah. it was really funny. You had whole episodes and this is supposed to be a show about people with superpowers yeah. and nobody used their powers. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think, and you kind of hit upon it, what I like to refer to as the Scott Lobdell effect, named after the way the post-Claremont X-Men in the late 80s throughout the 90s, uh, how slowly under writers such as Scott Lobdell, all the normal people got kind of phased out. Yeah. Until all you had were mutants fighting other mutants, and there was nobody to latch onto as your point of view character. Right. 
Well, that's what happened eventually in Heroes. All of the people, and even the normal people, all of a sudden, now they develop superpowers. Well, surrender. When, when Suresh injected himself with the yeah. serum and became Spider-Fly. Spider-Fly. That's when I checked out. I said, okay, cool. Yeah. I said, I'm done. The second problem with the show, the writer strike. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, that second season was, there were some bad choices made in terms of storylines. Hero in feudal Japan. And what? am I the only one who's really happy that Masioka has a job now on Hawaii Five O? No. Everybody liked him. I mean, I think he... I hated his character. Him, Hayden Pantieri. Mm-hmm. She's still got a career. I didn't even know that she was on Ally McBeal. Yes, she was. Play Ally McBeal's daughter. Well, there's another one. There's, been, yeah. there, there's another one that there's crashed another and burned. Crash and burn I've been, I, I've been we'll watching, get to that in a few minutes. I've been watching yeah. the reruns mm-hmm. on the Reels channel. That's another show that crashed and, and I think that's another one where, well, like with the, the Chris Carter complex, mm-hmm. David E. Kelly got too full of himself. Yeah. But then again, this is the problem with all of David E. Kelly shows, which is one of the reasons why I'm really nervous about this Wonder Woman show he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> which is David E. Kelly shows... Right from picket fences, start out strong. Yeah. They start yeah. out really smart and really intelligent, somewhat quirky, but very focused. And then. Strong, strong writing, strong characters, strong and then actors in strong stories. Mm-hmm. And then David E. Kelly gets bored. Then out comes the midgets. And then he starts pulling and the, ra- the transvestites. He, he starts pulling the rabbits out of his hat. Yeah. Saying, okay. I got that between you and me. I'm amazed that the practice lasted as long as it did without ever descending fully. They always flirted with it a bit, mm-hmm. but they never descended fully. It wasn't until, of course, the practice led into Boston Legal. To Boston Legal, that yeah. it became then that's what, Doodle Street. Then it became wacky, yeah. Allie McBeal was a big hit. David E. Kelly got bored. He made stars out of Callister Flockhart, yeah. the 12-year-old boy masquerading as and, a woman. Uh, <laughs> and Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu became a star, right? Yeah. yeah. And what happened? Two things. David E. Kelly got bored and David E. Kelly got greedy. Because then you had Allie McBeal and Allie. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah the sitcom half- version. Right. The, right. Stuff. Yeah, the half-hour sitcom version. And then he pulled the stunt that... That he but, always wanted to do. I told you this story before. He did the crossover. The crossover. He always wanted to which do. Which Fox was so pissed about. They said, you're never going to do this yeah. again. He had wanted to do that as far back as Picket Fences. Yeah. Because he and Chris Carter were friends and they mm-hmm. had planned. There's an episode. There's an episode they was going to do where and Mulder that, and Scully was going to come yeah. to the town and Picket Fences to solve. There is an yeah. episode of X-Files called The Red Museum. Mm-hmm. It's the second season episode. It aired on the Friday at 9 o'clock and then you switched over to Picket Fences. And an FBI agent visits this town and explains to the character, summarizes the Red Museum episode in about a minute and a half. Because mm-hmm. he was supposed to be Mulder. It's a kind of sort of a, a comedic continuation of that X-Files episode. Uh, there was an episode of Pick the Fences, the one where... They found a cow. Yeah. They had a human fetus. That's the one. That's the, that's one, the one. That's the one that was going to be the X-Files yes. crossover. You could tell, for example, with Picket Fences, when they made Marilee Matlin's character not only into a regular character, but the mayor of the town. Right. That was when David E. Kelly got bored. It was got like, bored and said, okay, but let me start doing a little wacky stuff around yeah. here and there. Yeah. But getting back to Heroes, there were two reasons why season two didn't work. One, they made some bad choices in terms of story. Nobody liked that story arc that you cited. The, I mean, the hero you know, of feudal Japan. Yeah, feudal Japan. And I think also... Yeah, nobody the, liked that. Because it ran for too yeah. long. I think also Peter's story and, where he uh, shows up in Ireland with no memory. Yeah. Which, of course, dragged in my girl... 
Mm-hmm. You know, totally wasted ten episodes. Which still pisses me off because he takes this poor girl to the future. And it's a horrible yeah. future. It's a 1984 type of future. So he spends a couple of episodes there and they're having adventures. He goes back to the present, apparently leaving the girl yes. stand in the future, and they never, never say again. She's what never, yeah, she's never addressed again because along comes Electric Ella, mm-hmm. and they're dragged into the storyline with, of course, HRG Hormone Guy and HRG's mirror image played by Stephen Tobolonsky. Yeah. And just like HRG has the wonderful daughter in Claire, mirror image guy has Ella, who's supposed to be the evil opposite. Yeah, but one week she was good. One week yeah. she was bad. It was very inconsistent. The only thing that they were consistent about was she was horny. It was very inconsistent characterization right there and there. That was a perfect example of... They knew the show was in trouble yeah. right there. So they said, okay, we got to do some stunt casting here. Because what does a TV show does yeah, when it's in trouble? They do stunt First thing they do, they do stunt casting. I, I will give Heroes credit. Sometimes their stunt casting worked. I loved seeing George Takei as George Heroes Takei, Father. yeah. That worked. That, that worked. That Michelle one. Nichols has carbon copy girl's grandmother did not. That didn't that didn't work. But yeah, well by then it was too obvious yeah. as to what they was doing. That's another character. They introduced her. The next week she was gone. Never said again whatever happened. Eric she- Roberts has HRG's boss worked. Mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleson has Claude Rains did not. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell has, was it Voldemort? I want to say Voldemort. Uh, well, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. They introduced him as this powerful rich guy that knew about these superhumans and, and was manipulating them for his own ends. And that was good. But then what they do? They had to go up and show he had power. Yeah. The thing that, that I found aggravating was that eventually there was no real people left in the no, show. Everybody has superpowers. And the, because the season was short, they had to do the scrambling. And I think nobody was happy on either end, the viewer or the, or nah. the production company, nah. with that faux ending. And season two was the last one I watched. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in assuming that it was every season had to deal with some future they had to stop? Yeah, well, they kept rerunning Days of Future Past. Yeah. Those writers loved X-Men because every... Well, yeah, in the first every, episode... Every season they did Days of Future Past. Remember, Pads. in the pilot, Hero cites an issue of X-Men. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he's talking to his best friend. Which is another thing that they messed up. I like those characters. One had powers, one did Turned out, his friend eventually found out he yeah. has superpowers. Suresh gains powers. Everybody gains powers. And I think that, too, was when things started going bad for mm-hmm. the show. After that horrible finale, they came back for the villains season, which apparently was had nothing to do with villains. Mm, not a blessed thing. <laughs> and then they kind of limped along with four was the forming of the team. Mm-hmm. Where they were planning on actually getting together and forming a team. Yeah. NBC said, you know what? Enough. And Kring is going, can I at least have a movie to wrap up? No. No. Maybe on the Sci-Fi Channel? No. No. My network? No. No. Go away. Another one like Chris Carter. Have you heard from him lately? Another one that has faded into obscurity. It's funny because it's another one that was, although this one is still on, this one has found a way to survive. And maybe this is something we can use as an example of a show that has managed to weather crashing and burning is Desperate Housewives. Where during its first season, it was the show to watch. Well, maybe so. I didn't watch it. But still, I mean, you remember all the buzz surrounding that show. Yeah, still, there's a considerable amount of buzz around it. I don't think so. Really? I don't hear people talking about it. Oh, I mean... But that first season, people were talking about it all the time. Oh, yeah. And somehow, it has managed to survive into its fifth season now. Yeah, supposedly this is going to be the last season. I know I've seen the guy that created it. He said it's only supposed to run for five seasons. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. 
maybe they will call it because as you if say, they were merciful they would because that is a problem a lot of times where you have these shows which are supposed to last a finite number of years and the network keeps throwing the money at them right which is going back to one of our favorite Twin mm. Peaks which was yeah. only supposed to go up until they found out who killed Laura Palmer because after that then there's not right, but there's a no story. But ABC said no, 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 no. Come back and do another. So then they had to create this other mystery. They had to have the, 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 the McLaughlin character. Around. So what they did, they had him get kicked off the FBI. So we had mm-hmm. to stay in the town and help the sheriff yeah. solve another mystery. And, and that limped along for what, like another year or two more. Oh, about a year. That ended on a very weird cliffhanger with the Kyle McLaughlin character being stuck yeah. inside that black fortress or castle or yeah. whatever, and he had an evil doppelganger walking around. And David Lynch wanted the same thing, but Tim, he went. To, he said, well, can I have a movie and wrap it up, ABC? He said, no, just go. Yes. <laughs> Your services are no longer welcome. And then they screwed him again because he came back. He was going to do, what's that movie, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. That was, that was a Fox series, though. That was for Fox. Oh, that was going to be Fox. Okay, that I said correct. Fox. He's done a total of three TV shows. I thought it was going to be for ABC. Uh, okay. Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. Soap Radio, mm-hmm. which I think was a mid-season replacement, did mm-hmm. not last, and weirdly enough, received a video release on VHS back when VHS was still popular. It was like a four-hour-long cassette. You had to sit there and watch it for four hours. It was a half-hour comedy show. They cut it into one long movie. One long movie. And Mulholland Drive, which was originally for Fox. Oh, okay. Fox said, what the fuck is this (laughs) shit? Have you ever seen that thing? It's wacky. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love David Lynch, but I watched it recently. I watched a David Lynch double feature, yeah. which you probably shouldn't do without the benefit of recreational pharmaceuticals. It was Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. Yeah. And whoa, I said, David Lynch, I love his movies. He's just too out there for me. <laughs> Should we touch upon the shows that burned before they even got off the ground? Such as? Pushing Daisies. Yeah, me and you have said this before. You know why that show burned before it started? Because they did it wrong right from the start. It should have been a completely musical. Yeah, the reason I bring up Pushing Daisy is because it's an example, I think, of a show, and Lone Star is another one, where the network is trying to convince you this is your new obsession. In fact, if I remember correctly, that was Lone Star's ad tagline. Your new TV obsession. For one reason or another, I think in the case of Pushing Daisy, it's just that that show was weird for the point of being weird. Yeah, it was just weird for the sake of being weird. There was so little connection to reality that I think people just got turned off to it immediately. Which is why I say they yeah. should have just went ahead and did it as a musical, which, considering the amount of Broadway hey, musical my... talent that they had on there, I couldn't understand yeah. it. Well, you've got Jim Dale, who's doing the narration. Yeah. Kristen Chenoweth. Which we both adore. Yeah. She was the best thing in you again, by the way. Okay. Um, Ellen Green and Swoozie Kurtz. It's Swoozie Kurtz. All Broadway talent. Why do you put all these singers in one show and then don't let them sing? It's weird because I think I lasted through three episodes of that show. And I can tell you, the moment where I said, that's it, I'm done, which is in the end of the third where the resolution was this whole convoluted story, which basically was because somebody in the production house thought it was funny to have an Asian Southern gentleman. But one of my few favorite moments in that show was in the second episode where Kristen Chenowitz, who played a waitress at this pie right, at, restaurant. At the pie the, restaurant. The, the male lead. And she wanted him so very much. Mm-hmm. Now they Dis- let her sing in a couple of Dismayed at the fact that this new woman had entered his life and she was never going to have him. Sang hopelessly devoted to right. you in the darkened pie shop. Yeah. 
And that was magnificent. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful. Well, somebody had some sense yeah. to say, it's Christian Chenoweth. Mm-hmm. Let her sing. But they had their own version of the sexual tension thing in there. That show had a built-in doomed to failure thing yeah. because he brings you back to life with one touch. But if he touches you again, you yeah. die. So... He's got a girlfriend, but he can never touch her, which means this relationship is never going to yeah, go anywhere. There's never going to be a resolution. Yeah. The, the fundamental flaw in many, many TV series these days mm-hmm. is that they're built on the expectation of something happening. Whether it's a war ending mm-hmm. or, like in the case of Battlestar Galactica, finding Earth. You're right. You've building, got something to look forward to. Yeah. The problem with building so much on that thing to look forward to is you're going to have to pay to it off. Soon you got to give them the sizzle with the state. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and more often than that, in the case of Moonlighting, when you finally get the thing you want, you may decide you don't want it anymore. Or else, you're satisfied and you go somewhere yeah, exactly. else. exactly. Yeah, they don't seem to get it. The guy's got a girlfriend he can never touch. Well, then, eventually, she's going to leave and she's going to find somebody who can touch yeah. her. She's only human. Or like, he's going to go and he's going to find... Yeah. So, or he's going to go and bang Kristen Chenowitz till the cows come home. Thank you. So why even have this kind of relationship? Right. I, I guess the other thing that really annoyed me about that series, which is why I only lasted three uh, episodes on it, was mm-hmm. that, first off, the male lead was a total void. Mm-hmm. He was totally blank. Well, everybody else around him was yeah. better than him. But I thought Kristen Chenowitz was so much hotter and so much more interesting a person than the girlfriend. Than the girl. Than the girl he was obsessed with. Boom. I brought you back to life. I can't touch you again, but I just wanted to do this yes. because of what we had. Go thou and sin no yeah. more. Okay, fuck. Kristen Chenoweth. Let's bang. That's <laughs> you know she's probably a dirty woman. Boom, 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 boom. Hell, we have evidence of her being a dirty girl on one of our episodes, if you remember. Let's go. Oh. I mean, but no, you're going to have this guy. The guy who played the lead, you don't put him up against an actor on the level of Chi McBride every yeah. week. And expect the poor guy to hold his Actors home. like Chi McBride and Ellen Green and Susie Kurtz. All these people who are really accomplished and can create living characters. And you're like such a void. And you just stand there like a lump. Yeah. I know that his character was supposed to be kind of emotionally mm-hmm. repressed because of the death right. touch thing. But still, come on, man. You can work. Pushing Daisies, it had a whole lot of promise. I stuck with it a little bit longer than you did. Yeah. Because it had such promise. I think that it tried too hard to be... A Tim Burton-esque right. type of fantasy. Unless you're Tim Burton, you can't pull it off. Yeah. Barry Sonderfeld, who I believe was the creator of that yeah. show, and th- he tried hard, but it was a noble attempt. But one that had its own failure built in right, right. from the start. And then you get to the case of, well, this will be the last one we'll talk about, Lone Star. Which they pushed as, this is the thing that you're going to get wild about. But the only thing they had to show for it was a picture of the same guy with two different women. Who they thought they was going to sell that show to? First of all, you're not going to be able to sell it to women. Right. Because women do not want to see a show about a guy. With two different women. That's married to two different women. Right. You're not going to sell it to men because, see, if you got a guy that's married to two different women, obviously he's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so why would I want to see a show about a, a guy? But the that... thing is, is that they did very little to convey what the show was about. Because it was about a con man, but yes. they didn't tell you that. Yeah, as far as you know, it was a show about a guy being married to two. Who, who wants to see that? We've gone a lot longer than we thought we were going to. Yes, but we had a lot to talk about. Yes, we, we had, had a, we lot had a lot of fun. fun. We had a lot of fun doing it. To wrap up, is there any of these that you would recommend people maybe let take a look at? Well, of course, Twin Peaks. Okay, Twin which, Peaks. Which, for my mind, is still one of the best TV series ever made, especially right. that first season. Pushing Daisies, I would recommend that people look at that just because of, as we said, the talent involved, mm-hmm. Ellen Green. 
If you don't know who she was, then you ought to be shot in the head. Go get yourself a copy of Little Shop yeah. of Horrors. And you know Ellen Green is Swoozie yes. Curtis is in it, Christian Chenoweth, Chief McBride, who is mm-hmm. in The Human, Human Target. Target. Yeah. The first season of Heroes. Right. Get well, that. I wouldn't say that, but. Okay, the chances are that anybody's listening to our podcast has already seen yeah. it already anyway. So, at least that first season. Just mm-hmm. so you can get an idea of what it could have been. The fact is, I think one of the problems with network television trying to make these next TV obsessions is that unfortunately most TV obsessions now are on cable. Yeah. What's the big TV obsession right now? Mad Men. Mad Men, yeah. AMC. Which is on AMC. Right. Well, didn't they show movies once? Yeah, but now with this and they got The Walking Dead, which was really yeah. good. I like. I haven't Walking seen Dead. the, the pilot. It just doesn't interest me. Okay, well that's yeah. fair enough. People are obsessed now with the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I don't know why. It was vampires a couple of years yep. ago. Now it's zombies. Well, there's still vampires because here's something that a lot of people have been getting into that we've been kind of quietly ignoring, which is the Vampire Diaries. There is a large fan base for that show and for reasons I have no idea. There's a show on called The Vampire Diaries? Yes, it's, not, it's a CW show. It's another one of those well, shows. That, that, that's why I don't know about it. It's yet. another one of those shows that the CW is using as the next ten poles. Oh, okay. Now that they have to finally give up Smallville. That's why I didn't know that. I didn't even know the name. The name didn't even register. Yeah. Uh, what else did we talk about that? The Drew Carey Show. The Drew Carey Show. Only yeah. the first season came out yeah. on DVD. Which is the good part of the show. Well, again... Get the first season just to give yourself an idea of what the show mm-hmm. is about. And if they want to explore more. Ali McBeal, I know that all of the complete mm-hmm. show is on DVD now. Yeah. That was an interesting show for what it was. I think all three seasons of Millennium are still available. Yeah, they're still available. X-Files But you only need to see the second season. Yeah. Just see the second... That's the one that has the Morgan Wong episodes, yes, Morgan, right? Yeah, that was the one produced by Morgan Wong. Moonlighting, the yeah. first season or two. This is the thing about these shows. When they first start out, they were all worth yeah. watching. That's why I was saying, get the first season. And if you want to go further, by all means, go ahead until you get sick and tired of it. But Just as long as you understand, they're their big monsters. But but all of them for their first season were out. So that's why we're talking about them. They started yeah. out so great and with such promise. Set sail the boat, Kring. Oh, Lord. Administrative. Okay. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you don't want to, Kring, except put on a boat and set sail with no uh, provisions. Or I say, set sail the boat, Kring. That's the fifth time, Tom. Yes. There's a number of ways you can reach us. <laughs> You can send us an email to better in the dark at earth2.net. That's better in the dark at earth2.net. I love doing this. <laughs> you can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com and uh, interact with us and many of the fans of the show. You can join the Better in the Dark Facebook fan page on Facebook, and you can also follow the adventures of Derek and myself on our Facebook profiles and on our live journals. Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. And also, just in time for Christmas, you can always log on to pulpworkspress.com and order a copy of How the West Was Weird so we can get some royalties. So we can buy some Christmas presents for our loved ones. Yes. We should also mention, we haven't done it for a while, the Better in the Dark fan page. That Oh, uh, yes, of course, the Kelly Loge. Yeah. Puts together. Maintained by a good friend. Where you can find a glossary of all the weird language that we use. You can find the Better in the Dark Hottie Hall of Fame with 
pictures and videos of some of our favorite women's. Matter of fact, not I, Leah Remini though. No, not Leah Remini. And which uh, is a shame. Yeah, but I'm sorry. Have you ever seen her in a bikini? Oh my god. Zemu touched her butt. Okay. <laughs> Zemu. Zemu touched her butt. Okay. That makes her off limits. I've seen her in a wet t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You've seen that picture. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. And it just causes so many wrong things to go through my head. If you're at all interested in fan fiction, you might want to go over to Altered Visions, since we've got some plans going for that. Yeah. Since we have the whole Avengers corner of that universe to ourselves. All to ourselves. Tom and I love writing fan fiction. We dabble in it. So if you're at all interested in that, by all means, pick that up. Go to www.alteredvisions.org. Okay. And that's it. And it looks like this is going to be the last episode of the day. Yeah, this one really... This went long. Yeah, but there was a lot to cover. Yes. And it's not like... And I hope that you people out there don't feel that your time was wasted by this retrospective of TV shows that crashed and burned. But it was something that we've been talking about for a while. But as we continue our running up towards episode 100, we do have a number of interesting things. We're going to finally start our Uh, Universal Movie Monsters. Yeah, yeah, right. The classic Universal Movie Monsters. Because FYE had a sale and I got to pick up both the Frankenstein and Dracula Legacy Collections for the grand total of $17. So we're going to be starting that pretty soon. And of course, you know it's one of your favorite favorite episodes every year the obscure movies episode Yay! tell us about the movies we never seen uncle Derek. <laughs> sit on my knee little girl i'll tell you everything you want to know we should try to do another christmas show one of these days though until then until then this has been Derek ferguson and this has been Thomas DJ. Until next time, when a guy who's been in prison but he really is an undercover agent is helping you fight a dumb guy who was a ripoff of a George R. R. Martin Wildcards character, while some other guy is raising your grandma from the dead, while Frank Black, as played by Lance Hedrick, looks on and goes, This is so terribly wrong. Go Go see that TV show. show. Good night. Good night. God bless. (laughs) What does he want? He wants nothing. Fire is the devil hiding like a coward in the smoke. Three, four! Three, four! Three, four! You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to James Doe of Tranquil Tirades, Paul and Al of House to Astonish, Michael Bailey of Views from the Long Box, Eric Froman, of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark once had Hitler Pie and recommends you have it with some whipped cream to cut down on the sulfury taste of evil. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitvsite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you could be the hottest girl in the world, even in a wet t-shirt. But if Zemo, or for that matter, Tom Cruise, touches your butt, no one will want to touch you.
still watching you. Trying to use that thing. She had quite a mouth on her, too. Which thing is that? Of course, I wasn't exactly wanting in that department, either. You saved the cheerleader. So we could save the world.